0: In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll and on this podcast you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right. Welcome back. Once again, I am <laughs> i say this every time and I almost feel like a broken record, but I'm excited <laughs> to hear the journey, the stories, the things that are going on behind the scenes, not necessarily always the big high points, but what was that journey like to be able to get to where we're at to craft our true narrative? This story, we have it officially as JD. Danny, I'm going to call you Danny throughout it. If that's cool with you, <laughs> we're going to just go with that. But let's go ahead and get started and then I'll, I'll do a little bit more of a teaser. So Who is Danny? Give me 30 seconds. We just met in the elevator. Who are you? Who is Danny? Danny is a a proud father of two young
1: adults. I'm the middle child, five of nine of an Irish Catholic family. I'm a guy who has now made God more of a priority in his life and an individual that will no longer take peace for granted. I start my day and my day
0: is centered around the concept of gratitude and humility. Man, I, I love that as an identity, and that's really when we ask these things. I love to be able to see what people feel is their true identity, and and it comes out. And I, I man, it just it I love that about you. So those that are listening, that are used to listening, we're actually going to do this one a little bit different due to the fact that this story is really really powerful, and I want to focus in on some different components. And yes, we'll we will probably going to talk a little bit, and maybe just briefly touch on your childhood coming in, but I really want to focus on, you wrote a book about it. And I really want to focus in on the story of your life from the marriage aspect and all of the things that you went through to now, again, I don't want to give anything away, but it's truly a powerful story and the reverse of what we often see in society. And just, just I want to honor that, but th- this is going to be something I'm going to tell you. It's, it's powerful. So let's get started with the false narrative that you were falling in under, Uh, maybe give me a little bit of background on why it was that way, maybe draw from the childhood stories, but I'm going to let you get started with where you would like to go compared to where we normally go. So let's just jump in here.
1: Sure. And again, thank you for the opportunity, Tim, to be on your platform and and to share my story. But as I mentioned in the introduction, being a middle child, five of nine, I was blessed to learn at a very early age, the concept of work ethic. The concept of being selfless, because both of my parents were selfless. We, middle-class family, we didn't have everything we wanted. We had everything that we needed. Education was important to me, and, and looking back to my early days, even in, through second grade, my nickname was Curious George, because I had a, <laughs> I had a thirst for knowledge. It, it was a way for me to get attention at home by bringing home good grades and excelling in school, and mm. education was, was important to my parents. But again, as... As a child, a middle child of nine, and I've learned throughout my traumatic journey uh, that we'll talk about here shortly, that I'm a, I'm a pleaser. I'm a guy who has a need to be needed, and it was something that had served me well in my marriage for the first 17 years, and it was something that was later used as, as, a, as a weapon against me. But my, my narrative throughout my childhood would be to, to work hard, hit the books, Treat everybody with respect, regardless of their title or their position in life. And this is something my father modeled often. Whether he was talking to a street sweeper, a janitor, a CFO, it didn't matter. He treated them all the same. So I had a, uh, I would say I had a very, very happy childhood. And I was surrounded by a lot of love and a lot of support from my five brothers and three sisters.
0: So there's a lot of positive narratives in there. And this is where I truly believe the story is going to start taking shape. Because you said, just briefly, I am a pleaser you know yeah. and that's that can be a really powerful tool and it can be coming from a servant's heart and you can truly be empathetic and and really learn about people and really want to make sure that their needs are met before your needs all positive things but yet let's go ahead and step into this that positive can also now be used against you and it can be used as a way to manipulate and leverage to a point that is extremely unhealthy which is now what we're going to find out yeah. And that's, it. That's, exactly, that's exactly what had happened. And I, and I think
1: as I look back on it now, my, my love of education, I certainly became very educated throughout my journey. I learned about the legal system. I learned about the mental health system, the medical care system, and I just learned how, how tremendously broken they were. But I also learned to use my learning agility to advocate for myself. That's one of the messages I would deliver to anybody that's going through a difficult time is is recognize that you're going to need to get through it on your own. Hopefully, you have support and love and folks around you to walk with you. But ultimately, the battle is yours to fight. And it be, really becomes, as I've, I i don't think I've coined it, but I've coined the phrase that the mind is where the battle begins. And each day, you are some days it was hourly, others it was daily, sometimes it was weekly, a constant mindset reframe, to avoid kind of falling into the victim mentality and to recognize that adversity is a gift. Mm. Adversity is a gift and there's opportunity on the other side.
0: Yeah, so one of the parts in the book that you actually write about with your story is you woke up in a hospital and you were hospitalized and it, it was a police officer standing there like just trying to get your attention and and part of that you were actually saying like you, you didn't realize really what was going on. So that that's what we're leading into, but yet I know when we talked, you had over a decade of what you felt like was a really great marriage, and you felt like you had a really great relationship. So let's jump into that part of it. Sure. What was that What was that like before all of a sudden that wake up of, oh my goodness, this isn't what I thought it was. So let's just get started with that part.
1: Yeah. So the first day was 17 years, to believe it or not, that I would define as a happy and stable marriage. We very rarely argued. As I look back on things now, you know, I, I see things a little bit differently as far as how disconnected she was from kind of the the, the family unit. But I, I saw it as, and I would say this. So the other the other narrative, right, in life is as you begin to build your career and establish and gain a little bit of success, you have the potential to become comfortable and complacent. And I think I found myself in that in that position. I was a confident individual. I've always been throughout my life. I want to say confident, not arrogant. But comfort and complacency are traps. And so
0: I was caught in a marriage that I thought was happy and stable. And then wait, wait, wait. Almost- we gotta we gotta dig into that though, because I think that's a really powerful, powerful concept that you just 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 barely touched on. But it's like, okay, so why? What what was what made you complacent? What made you comfortable? And then, you know, like why you say that it's a trap? Because I, I think sometimes we get in life and we don't realize that we're there and it's a trap. So let's dig into that real quick.
1: Yeah. I think the stability, you become comfortable in in instability. You're like, okay, we're now I've got a very happy marriage. I got two beautiful, healthy kids. They, you know, they're, they're being educated. They're doing well in school. They're, they're thriving in their sports and life is good. You know, I, I guess I would describe it as this, right? We think we have it all figured out, but I think we also have to recognize that, you know, we are, we are not in charge. Ultimately yeah, we're in control of our own decisions because of free will, but but we're not in charge. And so you, you get locked into it. And I think for me, I failed to see some things that were going on around me. Now, there were some other complicating factors within our marriage that I, that I talk about in the book, her alleged autoimmune disease that I would chalk up a lot of what I began to see, I uh, being in the medical pharmaceutical field for the last 30 plus years. I started to chalk it up to her autoimmune disease, which we would later figure out was a fiction of her imagination. So it wasn't, it wasn't real, but you had mentioned the concept of me laying in a hospital bed. Over the course of a six month period, I didn't know the term at the time, but she began to gaslight me and she began to assassinate my character and, she began, and I began to question my own identity. Everything that I stood for as an individual, was stripped away from me. But the mistake that I made, I allowed that. I've got to take some accountability for it. I allowed it because I didn't tell anybody what was going on in my marriage. I have a large family, as I talked about. I have a large professional network and a decent network of friends. I could have confided in somebody, but I didn't say anything to anybody. And nobody got pulled into the mess until I was involuntarily committed across two different facilities for nine days. And what it was when when that sheriff poking on my chest. I was at four, four o'clock in the morning in a psychiatric ER where he announced to me that I had been involuntarily committed. I would later discover that that commitment was not only driven by her hollowing me out and, you know, stripping me of my identity as a man and as a father and as a husband, but her mother got involved and would, you know, also apply the same verbal assault and abuse. But yeah, I would also later discover that she had set me up for that involuntary commitment. She was writing letters behind my back to my physicians at the time. And those exact letters are in the book verbatim.
0: Oh, well, let's back up on that because I want to, and I know that you've healed through this and I know you've wrote the book on that perspective and that's how you're sharing. But if you back up, and you were faced with an individual that was in that position, because you said it was several months, that hollowing, that, that, that stripping away of your character, the stripping away of your identity. For somebody that is maybe just starting into that, maybe they're in the middle of a situation like that. Maybe they're, they're coming towards the end of it where they're actually starting to wake up a little bit. What was that like? How did you, I should say, maybe even why didn't you share?
1: That's an excellent question. My advice to to, to anybody would be to please make sure to confide in somebody who can provide you with an objective point of view. Don't get lost in your subjectivity. It wasn't a male thing for me. I wasn't trying to fix something like most guys. You know, we we stand on our pride and want to fix something. I was just emotionally confused as to what was going on because there would be abuse, and then there would be periodic intimacy where she'd pull you back in. It's the, the classic, I guess they call it, love bombing or breadcrumbing or whatever the official terms are, but she would pull me back in and give me false reassurance that things were going to be okay. You know, so I'm hanging on to a false narrative that she was providing. I'm hanging on to false hope because for me, my family and what we had built was everything. And again, that was my strength. It was my love for the family and the family unit. And she attacked that and shredded it, you know,
0: Was that Um, your narrative too? Was that something that you believe fully and how life was going to go? Yes. Yeah. I mean, my, my narrative when I got married was till death do us part. Now she,
1: she took that way too seriously. <laughs> I can <laughs> laugh about it now because, you know, that's the other, is a very small piece in the book, but yeah, I would later discover that I was being chronically exposed to arsenic, but that, that wouldn't be discovered until after we had separated. But yeah, my, my narrative was to be a good family man, be a good husband, be a good father, be faithful have faith in, in God above. And I, I will say throughout my journey, he has become more of a priority. And when, when I hit the dark days and I thought I hit the darkest of days when I spent nine days, you know, across two different facilities, but I didn't realize rock bottom was nowhere in sight. I thought I had hit rock bottom, but man, I had another four years ahead of me that I I had no idea what was coming next. But that, yeah, that was my narrative. I was all about family, all about my kids
0: and keeping the family unit together. So, so that's you know? an interesting thing, because usually when we talk about narratives on the show, we're talking about a false narrative. we talk about how we had a belief of the way life was going to be, and that turned out not to be an accurate belief or a false belief and, or a false narrative that we kind of got conscripted into living. Yeah, I was going to say, I think
1: the false narrative for me was that, well, a couple of false narratives. The, the first one being, I trusted everybody you know, until they proved me differently, proved me wrong. Blind trust, that was that was my narrative. And then the other false narrative would be that, that you know, that she, she truly loved me, which which she didn't, because I now know that she's just not capable of that.
0: So when you're looking at those narratives, and again, uh, I, I, I think this is a kind of a blend too. What I'm saying is that the uh, true narrative, the aspect that family is important. And you, you said like, this is till death do us part. And then you kind of mixed in a little bit of a false narrative of, well, I believe that, she does love me. And I believe that she is going to be that way. And and so maybe kind of walk me through that. Like, how do you divide that? And maybe we need to save that towards the end of dividing it out. Maybe we need to kind of walk through some of the, the wake up times when you had that. Let me know the direction you want to go on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I, I I didn't begin to see clarity and I wasn't able to really get a sense of what her true false narrative was. Until she made the accusation, that is the title of the book, a perfect title, I think, is the, that's why I titled the book The Third Gift. The first two gifts were my kids, and then the third gift was when she made the accusation that I gave her a sexually transmitted disease. It was God intervening, quite frankly, saying, son, your marriage is over. Because once we had separated and once we began the, the path towards divorce, which I didn't know we were headed towards divorce, I, you know, I left the house, I was exiled out of the home, but Again, there was another false narrative on her part. Just go for a week until our daughter calms down and then, you know, we'll continue in therapy and whatever. So again, I was just strung along with a, a, false, a false sense of hope. But I didn't begin to see the truth with the eye opening and the smack across the face until she made that accusation. It was when I realized that, okay, everything that she had been accusing me of doing, she was doing including hidden prescription drug addictions, massive infidelity, stealing money from our marriage. And again, it's been very educational because I learned it's a concept called projection. And what she had been doing to me is a concept called gaslighting, which I didn't become familiar with that term until our domestic violence hearing where my attorney covered the mic and said, she's willing to say anything about you, she's gaslighting you. And I had to say, what does that mean? And he he said, look it up, and I did. So that was when I began to see the truth and I I titled the book The Gift. It has nothing to do with the joke of herpes being the gift that keeps on giving, but rather it was my journey back towards rediscovering who I was. So I rediscovered who I was and I rediscovered my narrative as a man and as a father through discovery of all her betrayal, deception, and lies. And it was also at that point that I'm, had to begin to come to terms with the fact is, was I really married to somebody this evil?
0: Well, yeah, and that's a big, big question too. So the shift, the transition, like you said, kind of almost a wake up was her, the the accusations that she was throwing at you. Was this like a lightning bolt from the sky kind of a wake up or was it more of a gradual wake up? Because like you said, some of the situations and scenarios, like, so how, how did the wake up happen and was there either somebody speaking into your life was it the questions or the, like get, let's get let's get those scenarios up yeah it was a lightning bolt for sure i would describe it as
1: an emotional lightning bolt and it occurred when we were at our first mediation when you know i'm in one room with my attorney and she's in a separate little condo with her attorney And there's a hallway connecting the two, and you got another attorney walking back and forth, and they came in with their first offer. And my attorney said, yeah, they're going to take off both your legs and arms, so you know, breathe. And once I reviewed that, I'm like, okay, they're asking for more money than I make. Okay, we'll breathe through that. And then the mediator just nonchalantly dropped on the table and said, oh, by the way, your soon-to-be ex-wife wanted me to let you know you gave her sexually transmitted herpes. And she dropped the lab report on the table. And as I looked at it, being in the medical pharmaceutical field, I'm like, yep, she's got it. And it was a lightning bolt. It was quickly, and I kid you not, Tim, it was, I quickly went from anger, disappointment, betrayal, all the emotions flooded in, and then quickly gratitude rose to the top. I will never explain it, but gratitude rose to the top where I'm like, okay, I have the start of some answers now. I will begin digging into her medical claims and pharmacy claims that I had no idea that I had access to through our insurance company's website. But I experienced all these massive emotions quickly, quickly, wow. very quickly. They they flooded in. It was it was an absolute lightning bolt. And in the book, I describe it as a as a. Uh, Right hand from Mike Tyson, you know, Uh, the upper, the uppercut was what they were asking for financially. And then the overhand right that I didn't see coming was this accusation, but and again, that's why I say adversity is a gift because hidden in that is a gift. It was a gift of my journey towards emotional freedom and reestablishing myself and my identity.
0: So I I guarantee you somebody's sitting there like they have a really hard time. Maybe they're in the thick of it right now, but they have a really hard time just even grasping the idea that you could be grateful for something that just the haymaker that came out of left field and gave you that knockout black eye. How can you actually be grateful for some, something like that? How, how can you even sit there and say like, hey, I am grateful for it? Why, why can you say that? To be honest with you, I think it goes back to my narrative as a kid. Deep need to understand
1: why about things. And that's, again, like I said earlier, that's why they call me Curious George. So my yep. deep understanding is figure out why. And I, when I was exiled out of the home, I'm living out of my car and out of a hotel room and for three and a half months. And with the generosity of family, I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on in our marriage. Why? How did we end up here? Mm. And again, I look back on what I had thought she was dealing with from a, an autoimmune disease. And I had consulted with several physicians that I had access to that said, oh yeah, you know, that particular autoimmune disease, it can attack every organ in your body, including your mind. So her delusions, her accusations, her paranoia could be driven by her autoimmune disease. So I see it as grateful and I'm thankful for it because it was the start of the answer to many questions that I had regarding why. Hmm. And it was like, oh my God. You know, she she and her mother beat me into the ground, hollowed me out. I spent nine days in psychiatric lockup thinking I was the issue. I and, and I was I was, you know, and I was I was just grateful. And and then of course the next hurdle is let's make sure we test negative, which by the grace by the grace of God I did. I did. I tested negative for everything and I've been tested tested multiple times. But had she not, I've talked told people I've told people this who know my story that. People can't, I don't think they can wrap their heads around it. But had she never made that accusation, I don't know where I'd be today. Emotionally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have an understanding of why our marriage fell apart. Mm-hmm. I don't know where my relationship would be with my kids. Because after all, dad spent nine days in psychiatric lockup and they were fed lies after lies after lies from their mother. And I, I wouldn't have the freedom I have today. So the, no. why gave you understanding to be able to have the freedom? Yeah, the beginning to understand why. I don't. I don't have all the answers, and I will never have all the answers, and I'm comfortable with that. But the good Lord, you know, as I said in the book, He smacked me across the face just to say, "Okay, you've had enough. This is your wake up call. Your marriage is over." Okay, mm-hmm. and and I'm and I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to end because I I never I briefly said, "Why, Lord? Why is this happening to me?" I briefly said that, and then I would pivot through mindset shift i would pivot to all right let your will be done but walk with me and if you can't walk with me put people in my life to walk with me and boy has he done that and, and, and my kids too, and my kids yeah that's so prominent. that's where the mindset shift that's where the mindset shift began and i would find i would call it moments of peace i would find moments of peace by talking to him by praying to him when i traveled a lot if if it got to be too much i would i didn't care what denomination but i would i'd find my way into a church just for momentary peace i knew i was going to step back out into the fire because it would come via gmail you know from her attorneys and come <laughs> god, only, god only knows what accusation was coming next or what legal maneuver
0: was being made
1: but i'd find moments of peace in the church
0: yeah. And and it's amazing when he talks about the peace that passes understanding. And I've talked with people that have lost children and been through a, a you know, just oh. horrific trauma. And they explain that to me and they say, it's just, I can't explain the peace that I feel. It's beyond understanding. So I, I'd leave that at that. So feel free Yeah, to- And I would say, I want, I want to be clear.
1: That was, like I said, momentary peace. I don't, I didn't get consistent peace. Until about two years ago, quite frankly. I mean, because we, we went through this for five years. and then of course, I you know, was in the process of writing the book for about a year, and then I lost my father, you know, throughout this, and then I lost my mother as the book was being you know, being released and launched. So it was like one thing, one thing after another. And I, I want to be clear too, because I've heard on a couple of other episodes the concept of forgiveness. I forgave her and her mother really early on. Because of the concept of you handed me a gift. Mm -hmm. And I will be forever grateful for how evil she was. And I'll be forever grateful, whether it was greed or whatever the case may be. I thank her almost daily for making that accusation to set me free.
0: Yeah. So let's transition into how you're living now. And I know there's been a lot of healing and there's been a lot of, like you said, there's moments of peace, but then you go and you have the fight. And I, I would probably guess that there's still days where you go back into that fight and you still struggle at times. So how do we live our lives now on the healing side of this? And I know that again, it's a process, but how do we live our lives? How do you live your life now? What are the the habits and the routines and the—I guess I'll call them—boundaries that you've now put in place, without compromising the values that you know to be true, the the true narratives that you have been writing. How yeah. are you doing that now? Yeah, that's a it's a great question. I I think I think the first thing for me is
1: I, I accepted who I am. Right, I accepted the fact that I am a selfless individual, independent guy. I have a need to be needed. And I will always be a pleaser. I'm not going to change that. But I have had to learn how to establish boundaries. And then the other piece of it is trust could verify, right? Mm-hmm. And and I know it's an old cliche saying, but I've been in a wonderful relationship for the last four years and I put this poor woman through the ringer of trusting but verifying. I was introduced to her by a longtime trusted friend, so that made it easier. And the other habits is, again, I, I talked about at the opening of making God more of a priority. He's just central in in my mind and, and and gratitude has become stronger and and humility. And again, I was never arrogant, but I, I'm just more humble than I, I've ever been, humble for the opportunity. And I'm at peace. I am at full peace. I will have things occasionally that will jump up and grab me. You know, you relive anniversary dates and this and that, but uh, I can smile and laugh about it now because I, I know I know how far I've come with his guidance and with the support and love of family and friends and, at times, complete strangers, you know.
0: Are there things that you it, do that on a daily basis that you, like, uh, uncompromising, I will do this every day, just to be able to make sure that you maintain, you know, the, the worth and the, the confidence in a healthy manner. Are there things you do, like, I, I, I will not compromise this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I spend time with uh with the Lord every day through the, the the Bible app, you know. So you know, whether it's ten minutes or whatever, and I've I've done in the past, I've done forty day sessions where I'll spend an hour with Him for forty days, just talking to Him as if He's a, as if He's a friend, a uh, consistent church goer, and I've maintained because I used to be 250, 255, so I've maintained my habit of exercise, whether it's walking or or boxing or, or whatever the case. Whatever the case may be, the other thing that I've I've done, which I, I didn't do in the past, is if something pops into my head that's positive that I want to say to somebody, I make sure I say it, whether it's whether it's a live communication or if it's a text. Something pops into my head about my kid or a family member or a friend, you know. In the past, you'd say, "Yeah, you know, I should reach out and let them know I thought of him today or thought of her today, and I'm really proud of whatever." No, I do it. I do it. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I try try to extend the same encouragement to others that were given to me. And I, I think it's worth sharing because I know on your platform you talk about encouragement, right? Oof. It was a complete stranger. I was in the middle of the depths of hell, and I'm walking out of a convenience store, a complete stranger. I'm holding the door for him. Never got his name. He just looked at me, and he said, may you find peace. Hmm. And I stopped him and I said, I don't know you. You don't know me. Why would you say that to me? I appreciate you saying that, but why would you say that to me? And he said, I can see the pain in your eyes. <laughs> and so I've taken that to say, look, whenever you think something positive or don't assume that everything's going well in, in, in someone's, someone's life. And there's a, another quote that I heard from a song. I forget who wrote it, but it's, it's, it says, it's harder to see through the eyes of a stranger. Those are things that are non-negotiable for me. My faith is non-negotiable, praying, keeping my kids in the the center of my life and and, and strengthening the bonds with my family. Uh, Because that was one of the things that I sacrificed during my marriage. She came from a family of two. I came from a family of nine and I sacrificed my time with my extended family. And those relationships have been rekindled for the last eight or nine years and they couldn't be stronger than ever. And it was through their love and support that I was able to get through it. But yeah,
0: I know when you're saying about say something positive, the thing that struck my mind, I've often watched Jordan Peterson and he gets extremely emotional when he starts talking about saying the encouraging words and talking in a positive manner. And he can't stress enough. And I think you just echoed this. You can't stress enough how much... A simple word can change somebody's life, even with the stranger, like you just said, it just like a bolt of lightning, like we told said earlier, but this is a positive bolt of lightning, something that can just totally change a day, a minute, a life, a week, a month, whatever. It can totally change the projection of where you're at. Yeah, a, a simple thank you to somebody, you know, or or, or whatever. I mean, just be nice is just the,
1: is the, just be nice is the is the is the bottom line and and again, that's where forgiveness comes from too, you know. And 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 yeah, I mean, so those are things that are not negotiable for me at all.
0: Yeah. So so we've, I mean, we're kind of wrapping this up and I'm okay to go a little bit longer if we need to, but a lot of powerful things that you mentioned. A lot of powerful lessons, a lot of transitions, a lot of talking to individuals that could be going through this, but if there was one thing for those that are listening, that you wanted to make sure that they grasped or understood more than any of the other things that we talked about, what would that one thing be? Yeah, I mean, there's several, but the one
1: that the one that would rise to the top for me is embrace adversity. I mean, we all experience it. This, as, as I've told many others, this ain't heaven. And if heaven doesn't exist, then I beg the question, why are we here? But embrace adversity because there's opportunity within it. There's absolute opportunity within it. And I've seen my kid, the growth of my kids. My kids had to deal with this throughout their high school and college careers. And and I've seen the maturity and the growth and and the positive decisions they made when they could have gone off the rails. So embrace adversity, recognize there's, there's opportunity in it, opportunity for growth, opportunity for a renewed sense of purpose. It, it's about just shifting the mindset and controlling the mind. Again, sometimes it's hourly, daily, weekly, but you know... And it's okay. Embrace the negative emotions too. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to feel disappointment and betrayal. But process those and process those quickly. And the way that I did it was I would journal it. You know, I would write it down. I didn't start the journal for that reason. I started the journal when I was still in the marriage. I did it for protection because, hmm. believe it or not, I stayed in the marriage for another six months after I after I got out of the psychiatric lockup and. It was my brother's advice. It said, "If you're okay, you I'll support you, but you need to, you need to begin documenting everything that happens in that marriage to protect yourself." And so it was there that I began putting down my emotions and anger and let it go, put it on paper and let it go, and keep gratitude in the center of your heart.
0: I love that you just said that, though, because so often we skip that part, and we often just say, "Well, no, you're just supposed to feel positive, or no, you're just supposed to have gratitude, or, You just." Now, we're humans, man. <laughs> we yeah. have so yeah. much of a, a broader spectrum of emotions, from anger and disappointment and frustration. So I'm, I'm grateful that you just brought that up because that's a that's a powerful concept right there. Yeah. And the other thing, if I, if, if I could, I, I think back and I talk about it in the
1: book. There were days when, when I was angry. There were days you wallow in self pity, and you know I'm I'm bleeding money. I'm out of money. I'm playing Russian roulette with credit cards and. Mm, and I'm borrowing money from family and whatever, you know. But when I would get to the point, and I would say he brings you back. He does bring you back. There was our my first Thanksgiving without my kids. I spent it in a bowling alley. Okay, a friend of mine joined me. We had cold turkey sandwiches, and I probably drank way too much beer that day than I should have. But I was feeling sorry for myself, sitting in my apartment, my little apartment, all alone, recognizing that my kids are having Thanksgiving in my house that I paid for with grandma and they're having, you know, what I thought was as normal of a Thanksgiving as they could have without dad. My son would come over the following day and I would realize that he was attacked the night before Hmm. for two hours by his mother and grandmother. And it was a reminder to me that, okay, when you were feeling sorry for yourself, your son was sitting outside for two hours trying to reconcile how he was just attacked that he's involved with dad hacking phones and hacking routers and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And it was a reminder to me that, all right, my kids are in this too. It's not about me. My kids are going through this. And so, again, it's okay to experience it, but recognize, especially if kids are involved, that you're not alone. Mm. You're not alone. So you can feel sorry for yourself all you want, but couple of things and this is why I applaud your platform and the concept of stories and narratives. It was those stories that I heard from others that kept me grounded to keep give me a, what I call a you know theory of relativity that no matter how bad I thought I had it, others
0: had it far worse mm. I, I can't even imagine what your kids were going through just having to rectify and not understanding and so many times especially when you're going through it whether you're right or wrong, kids get the brunt of it. And I, I, man, I just can't even imagine that. So, all right. We talked about the book. Where can we find the book? If we're going to get, because I, I mean, like you, you, if you're listening, you want to hear the whole, whole story. <laughs> I mean, We have to hit some of the highlights and skip a bunch of it, but there's a lot more to this. Yeah. Where can you find the book.
1: Yeah. So the book is available on uh, Amazon. Uh, say if folks want signed copies, they can they can reach out to me at, at the third gift book at gmail.com. I'll send them out a signed copy, but it's available at all your major online retailers. There's an audio book also available that I narrated from the closet of my, my home here. So it's available hardcover, paperback, audiobook, ebook, all sorts of all sorts of yeah. platforms.
0: And, uh, yeah, and it's 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 interesting because we usually don't like promote a specific thing, but I felt like this is such a powerful thing to embrace somebody else's story, which is really what our true mission and vision is and to let other people know that they're not alone. And we are here to support and encourage. So thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your willingness to be authentic with us. And thank you for, man, just the encouraging words because I I, I can't even share to you just how much you've encouraged me. And I know that this is gonna be a blessing to others.
1: Well, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity. I I would close if I could. I'm not looking to make any money off of the book. And again, the title of the book is The Third Gift, My Dance with the Devil and Her Mother. But any proceeds from the book are going to support a couple of nonprofits. I feel that I'm looking to do some good for others with with uh, us. The situation was tremendously evil and awful.
0: Mm. And I think that's a great reason. I mean, right there is just the fact that you're giving back. And that's a whole nother concept that we could probably talk about, the generosity. And I I love that about you. So, all right, for those that are listening. Again, if you're listening on podcast, you're missing about 80% of the conversation because facial expression, all the other things, man, we're over on YouTube. So if you want to go over there and actually see the rest of the conversation, please head on over to YouTube. We're going to post that out there. Again, all of the stuff in the notes, all of the links, we're going to have that down there. You can actually follow him on. I think you're on TikTok too, if I recall. Yeah, TikTok and Instagram. Both of those are at the third gift. Yep. Yeah. So again, we'll get all of that information in on the notes. That way you can follow through. Um, I I can't express enough. And we say this every time, but if something something resonated with you, if something impacted you, reach back out. And whether you, again, send us an email or just contact me directly or contact Danny directly, I don't care how you do it, but just contact us because we want to hear about your story. And we also want you to be aware that you are not alone and that there are people here that are willing to come alongside and walk the journey and support and encourage you. Uh, so reach out. We'd love to be able to hear from you on those things. So until the next time that we launch another journey, keep writing, crafting your narrative and know that you're we're here to help you. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.